You're listening to The Common Faith Podcast. The topic is always Christianity and the things we should believe in common. Welcome to the program. I'm Barry. Thank you for joining me today and choosing to spend your time listening. I deeply appreciate that. Today's topic is freedom. What does it mean to be free? I suppose everyone has their own idea of what freedom is. But generally speaking, when I think of freedom, I think about the ability to make my own choices, to determine my own path. In general, a lack of control by other people of me, that I'm not under someone else's power. They're not pulling the strings like a, I'm a marionette. So freedom for me is being able to act as I want. Basically, that's it. Is God free? Well, we believe that God is sovereign. And that's an interesting word. It means to have supreme or ultimate power. So if you have supreme or ultimate power, then you're not under the control of somebody else. So by definition, you're free. In fact, you're very free because you have the supreme or ultimate power. So being free is an attribute of God. We could say that God is the gold standard for freedom. Are people free? Well, we were created in the image of God. And if being free is an attribute of God, it makes sense that creating us as his representatives, his imagers. Yeah, originally we were. And I suppose this is why manipulation is such a sin. Because when you manipulate somebody else, you are disrespecting an attribute of God that he created in that person. He created us to be free. And when I manipulate you or you try to manipulate me, you're disrespecting that. You're trying to exert control over me, get me to do things your way against my own will is the thrust of it. Yes, manipulation is a sin. Are people free? Yes. Originally, we were created free. Oddly enough, I think I can prove our freedom using the existence of evil. If we weren't free, if we did not have the power of choice, evil would not exist. What is evil? Evil is the opposite of God. We talked in another episode about the goodness of God. Evil is the opposite of God's goodness. Now, God didn't create evil. How could he create evil? Evil is that which is not of him. It's the opposite of him. It's a lack of him. We have evil because God created free beings and gave us the ability to choose him or choose not him. And when we choose not him, we are choosing evil. In a sense, we're creating evil. In every conflict, I have an option. I can respond in a godly way or an ungodly way. 
when I respond in an ungodly way, I'm creating evil in that moment. So, I believe the very existence of evil is the proof that we have freedom. Because if we weren't free, there would be no evil for the reasons I just stated. If God created us free, are we still free now? Well, in the second chapter of Hebrews, there's some interesting language. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. When we were created, we were not created to die. We were created to live forever. Our rebellion put us under the dominion of death. And in this chapter of Hebrews, we see that it's the devil that has that dominion. In a sense, he is the Lord of death. And we were held in his power through death. And Jesus came to free us. And it says literally, free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So are we still free? Apparently not. Apparently not. We were created free, but the rebellion of mankind ushered in the dominion of death over us, and being subject to death, yes, is a kind of slavery. We were created free, but the rebellion is what put us into slavery. The irony of this is that we just wanted to be freer, not enslaved. Let me try to explain that. If we go back and we look at Genesis 3 and we try to get into what's going on in the heads of Adam and Eve, what I get from the narrative is that they didn't want to be so dependent on God. In a sense, they wanted to be freer. They were convinced that they didn't have everything they needed and this thing that they lacked could be gained from eating the fruit that God told them, this is the one thing you can't eat. So they bought into the lie that rebelling against God would bring them to a greater place of freedom. Let me read some of the words from this. The Nahash, the serpent, is having this conversation with the woman, and he's like, hey, can you eat anything in here? And she's like, no, no, we can eat everything, but not that one thing. And if we do, we're going to die. And the Nakash says, no, you're not going to die. The truth is that God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. See, there's the heart of the lie. So there's a couple things happening. One, he's giving her the impression that God is withholding something good from her. And he doesn't want you to have this because when you do, you're going to be more like him. So Eve is thinking, well, I would like to know the difference between good and evil. It goes on to say that when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes, and here's the kicker, and quote, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. See, there's what was in her heart when she saw that the tree could make you wise. She took some of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband with her, and he ate. So the reason I went down this trail is that I wanted to point out that in the rebellion of mankind, 
The original motivation was to be freer. And this is the tragic irony of this thing is that we didn't become freer. Yeah, we gained the knowledge of good and evil, but we ended up enslaved, enslaved to death. Jesus comes along and his mission is to set the enslaved free. And this was the greater part of his messianic mission. In the first chapter of Galatians, it says this, that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I love that line. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And he says, don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. This speaks of getting stuck in sin, playing with sin, still continuing in sin. Sin brings a yoke of slavery because sin brings death. Now, don't get me wrong. We all struggle with sin. We all still sin. But there's a couple things that are happening. Either you're struggling against sin or you're cooperating with it. I get this picture in my head of a person stumbling along. This is the person who struggles with sin. Sin comes along, temptation, they fall to sin, they get back up again, they start walking again. They don't lay there in defeat. They brush themselves off and they keep going like a child learning how to walk. They bash their head off the coffee table. They're crying one minute, two minutes later, they got a big welt on the side of their head, but they're up and walking again. And so I think we're either in one of two conditions. We're either falling away or we're stumbling towards Messiah. I would rather be stumbling towards Messiah. I think it's better to struggle with sin than to be its playmate. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, there's some interesting words there. The overall idea in this section of scripture is that Paul, who was writing this letter to Timothy, didn't want him to get sucked into stupid quarrels, especially quarrels with unbelievers. Because the idea was that these quarrels were not going to be productive and it would actually push people away from possibly coming to faith in Messiah. So he said, don't do it. He adds these words, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. There's an image being captured by the devil without even knowing it, you're doing his will. And this is the condition of some human beings. Is mankind free? Well, some of us are free. We see from these various scriptures, Jesus wanted to come and set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So we were created free. Our rebellion put us into a state of slavery. Christ has purchased our way out of slavery. And now we just got to maintain that freedom. And I want you to think like maintain our salvation. I don't think of it like that. I think of like maintain our freedom because you can come to faith in Messiah, but get sucked right back into the sin, which brings death. Is mankind free? Yes. In Christ, mankind is free. But it's clear that those who are not in Messiah, are not free. And even worse than that, 
Some are in the devil's trap, and they've been captured by him to do his will. This brings us to the question, if we're free to do what we want, then why is there eternal punishment? Well, it's pretty simple. Unfortunately, many of us have this bizarre notion that being free means that you can do whatever you want and not have any consequences. That's not a real freedom. That's not reality. You see, you're only free to make the choice. You possess the freedom to make the choice to be like God, to be godly, or to rebel against God, to be ungodly, to pursue the things that are in accordance with his nature, godliness, or to pursue those things that are opposite of his nature, evil. And we're free to choose either. He's not going to pop up and stop you from doing your evil. He gives you the freedom to choose either way. But what he doesn't give you the freedom to do is choose what the consequence is for that. And it's biblical. In the sixth chapter of Galatians, it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, whatever he plants, he will also harvest. Because the one who plants to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. I tried to swap out the sows and reaps for plant and harvest. I think I did a lousy job there, but you get the point. The choices we make affect our future, and they affect our now. If I'm making choices, fleshly choices, if I'm choosing evil, I'm going to harvest corruption in my flesh. But if I'm planting in the Spirit things that are of God, I'm going to reap eternal life from that same Spirit. And what does this mean, God is not mocked? Well, He's the Creator. He created apple seeds to produce apple trees, and apple trees produce more apple seeds. If you planted an apple seed and up came an orange tree, that would be a problem because that's against God's design. That's not how he designed it. Apple seeds produce apple trees. Orange seeds produce orange trees. The creator is not going to be mocked. And in the same way, your sin is going to cause repercussions. Planting sin brings a particular harvest. In this section of scripture, they call it corruption from the flesh. And planting good seed in the spirit brings another kind of harvest, eternal life from the Spirit. God is not going to be mocked. This is the way that he's designed things. This is the way it works. And there's no way you can get around it. And he's incredibly patient. But trust me, in due time, you and I are going to reap what we have sowed. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Speaking of ominous, let's get into the nitty-gritty of eternal punishment. The question is, if we are free, then why is there eternal punishment? Well, I think we just kind of answered that. We're free to choose only, not free to determine the consequence. And eternal punishment is one of the consequences. I mean, we have laws, and if you don't follow the law, eventually the cops catch up with you, and they arrest you, and you go to court, and a judge and jury will condemn you, and you'll go to jail. And eternal punishment is kind of like that. The problem is you never get out. It's life sentence. Now, let's go at this from another angle. 
I also think that eternal punishment is in the same way that the existence of evil is evidence that we are free. I think eternal punishment is also evidence that we are free. And that might sound crazy because when you think of eternal punishment, someone is taking your freedom away from you. In a sense, you're being incarcerated. But instead of being incarcerated by the justice system, you're being incarcerated by God at the judgment. So the idea that eternal punishment is an example that we're free, it seems completely bizarre. I get that. I'm going to try to explain it to you. How I see this. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And eternal punishment is what it is because God isn't there. All the things that God is, is what makes heaven so heavenly. And everything God isn't, is what makes damnation so miserable. We're told that in his presence are pleasures forevermore. So if you are removed far from his presence, you're going to have the opposite of pleasures forevermore. Jesus spoke of an outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But in the presence of God, there's light and joy. See, they're opposites. So how is this evidence that we're free? This is how. God respects the freedom that he has created in you. Your freedom of choice, the attribute of God that he has placed in you, he respects that so much that he's not going to force you to spend eternity with him, even though that would be the best thing for you. Let's think about that. Obviously, being in God's presence forever and ever, amen, would be the best thing for every living soul. But in order for God to pull that off, he'd have to violate people's freedom for that to happen. Do you want to spend eternity with him? Okay. Spend your mortality with him now. Think about this. If you don't want anything to do with God in this world, you're making a choice about what you're going to do in the next world. Because he's not going to come along and say, hey, you didn't want anything to do with me. Guess what? I'm going to force you to spend eternity with me. No, you're making a choice in this world to have a God-free life, a life that is devoid of the presence of God. And what's going to happen is that in eternity, you're going to have an eternity that is devoid of the presence of God. That is literally damnation. And I get it, the scriptural foundation for punishment of behavior and all this sort of stuff. But I just want you to kind of get your head around this different take on this, that this really is a freedom issue. He's basically going to give you what you wanted your entire life. And this is why Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I think we get too hung up on what people do or don't do. And I just watched this show, a TV show called The Good Place. And it's based on this false premise that good people go to heaven and bad people go to the other place. And they didn't call it heaven. They just called it the good place. And I think that a lot of us, we view eternity like this. I mean, this is just a stupid show, but many of us see it as like, well, I'm a good person. Of course, I'm going to go to the good place. That's not how it works. I don't care how good you are in your own eyes. If you got no time for God in this world, he's got no time and no place for you in his kingdom. 
It's that simple. And it makes sense. It makes total sense. I think we lose sight that the epicenter of all this is relationship. What God wants is relationship with his creation. He wants relationship with you. And you need to develop a relationship. We need to respond. It's an offer. It's a hand extended. If we slap that hand away, why would we think that that hand would grab us and save us? Freedom. We were created to be free. And I think we should all respect and treat as holy each other's freedom. It's the way we were created. And it's one of the many things that makes us look like our creator. It's one of the things that makes us images of God. Thank you for listening.